Yo, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. I'm your humble and highly favored host, Isaiah Kid. How are you guys doing out there? It's a Saturday pod, Saturday episode. So you know how we give it up. NFL season is officially over. Um, and it's gonna be a whole this beat. I'm, I'm, I just want to give you guys a heads up. I'm gonna give you guys a heads up. First off, how's everybody doing? Let's just check in. How's everybody doing? Um, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you guys this. It's gonna be a lot of rumors. I'm gonna be you know breaking down and discussing a lot of off-season moves and so forth. But we got a lot to dive into and get into. Um, we had Trevor Lawrence pro day. He, you know, threw a couple passes. I mean, well, he threw more than a couple passes, but he threw some passes around the yard. So I'm gonna talk about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about his pro day. He looks really good. Um, and so forth. But uh, we know we're gonna we gotta address these rumors. We gotta address the JJ Watt. JJ Watt. Um. The Texans' best defensive player in in franchise history, he was released. Um, it was a mutual agreement. They can't, you know, both sides agreed upon, you know, him being released. That was the best option for both sides, rightfully so. Uh, he spent ten seasons with the, ten seasons with the Texans. So we got we got some stuff to get into, and I'm going to tell you guys how that feeds into the into the Deshaun Watson trade or a possible. Deshaun Watson trade that just that just seems inevitable, despite the fact that the Texans continue continuously to say, hey, this is our quarterback and we don't want to change him, even though he's disgruntled. But let's get into it. I'm going to start with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Because on my previous episode, I talked about this. I talked about this topic um, for a, for a pretty good lengthy time. And I, I basically backed Russell Wilson. I basically supported and defended Russell Wilson. And to my avail, to my surprise, a lot. I was, I was, I, I, I was. I'm not gonna say I was surprised, but I was just. I had a. I, I raised my eyebrow when I saw different media members, different shows, different podcasts talking about Russell Wilson, he needs to get over himself, you know, Russell Wilson, uh, cocky, and he needs, I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, but, so, and I, and I want to attack this, stand, I want to attack this whole Russell Wilson stuff from another lens, and I want to talk more about Pete Curl, because I don't think Pete Curl, I, I, because I don't think I don't I don't hear enough people mentioning or not mentioning Pete Curl and his involvement um in this in this whole process. And and that's my point. I think he has too much involvement. And I think he's I think and I and I told you guys this. I told you guys this last offseason. I told you guys this on the previous episode. I think Pete Curl is a little stubborn. I think he's a little stubborn. I think he's a little stuck in his old ways. Um, and it and it shows in his offensive philosophy and beliefs and his defensive beliefs and philosophy. It shows because he's been doing the same stuff 
for a very long time and it becomes very nostalgic. But I want to talk about this. So the Seahawks front office, I want to talk about the latest news, right, with the Seattle and Russell Wilson situation. So the Seahawks front office, their management, they're not very pleased that Russell Wilson made those comments about, you know, how, you know, about should he be involved in, you know, in, in offseason moves as far as, you know, concerning the offense and offensive line and et cetera. Um, and I think that's, what's, that's, what, that's what really sparked it off. So the Seahawks front office are not pleased. They're not pleased at all. Now, obviously, Seattle would be crazy. The Seahawks would be crazy to trade Russell Wilson. They'd be they'd, they'd be damn crazy if they were to trade Russell Wilson. But I think the big part that people are not talking about enough is why haven't we heard from John Snyder or Pete Carroll from this? Why, why haven't we heard from them yet? Why haven't John Snyder or Pete Carroll addressed these rumors and put it to rest? Why haven't they addressed this story? This story is, has been rolling for, for, for a week now. This entire week, this story has been rolling. And, I mean, Russ, you know, he went to the Dan Patrick show, and he, the Seahawks front office wasn't pleased by that, but... At the end of the day, this is your best player in franchise history. This is your franchise quarterback. This is your once in a generational type of quarterback. You got to put out a statement. You got to you got to you got to do a, a, an interview or something to put this thing to rest and say, "Hey, Russell Wilson is he's our quarterback. He's going to be our quarterback until the day he retires, at least from this end. From this standpoint, from our end, from our viewpoint, we want Russell Wilson to be our quarterback until the day he retires. That is what the Seahawks should be putting out. That is the real that that's that is that those should be the reports that I hear coming out of Seattle as far as their front office and Pete Curl. Not that they're not pleased. No. This is our guy. But even fur- furthermore, with Pete Carroll, Pete Curl's an older coach. I told you guys that Pete Curl, he has a lot of say so, a lot of power, a lot of a lot of personnel power within the front office. And and let's be honest, let's call a spade a spade. It just hasn't worked over the last few years. Over the last several years, it just has not worked. Yes, Seattle, they're still winning games. They're still they're still being relevant in a in a bona fide playoff team. You know, a perennial playoff team. That's what that, that's what they've been over the last several years. Um, since those since those Legion of Boom years. But that's that's a, a lot of that has to do with Russell Wilson and his greatness. Cause if you look at these teams over the last few years, these teams have not been great. These Seahawks teams have not been great. They have not been great. From top to bottom, the Seahawks are very top heavy. The Seahawks are very top heavy. And that is what I and that was my concern coming in coming into last season. During the offseason, you got Russell Wilson in the books, you got Bobby Wagner in the books, and then you're gonna add Jamal Adams. Very top heavy. And they haven't done well, they haven't done well drafting at all. 
they haven't done well. Pete Curl hasn't done well drafting all drafting at all, especially on the on the defensive side of the ball. And then they've just completely ignored the offensive line. They've completely ignored the offensive line issues that they've been having over the last several years. I mean, hell, since Russell Wilson's been there, they haven't addressed it. They haven't even touched it. So Pete Curl, I'm looking at a coach with Pete Curl who was seven and nine prior to Russell Wilson. Pete Curl was seven. He had back to he has back to back seven and nines, seven and nine seasons with the Seahawks. And and that was with the Legion of Boom. That was with Marshawn Lynch. He was still going seven and nine under 500 as a coach prior to Russell Wilson. And I know P. I know P. Curl, legend. You know he had a he had a historic run at USC. In USC, I mean, since Pete Curl has left, and you know, since those days over, USC has struggled to get back to that level. So I give credit where credit's due, but let's call a spade a spade. Pete Curl, I would be, I would, I, I would, I would have him a little bit under the microscope instead of bashing Russell Wilson. Instead of I'm I'm seeing I'm hearing so many analysts, I'm hearing so many media personalities say, oh, Russell Wilson has to get over himself. Well, maybe Pete Curl has to get over himself. Maybe Pete Curl has to get over himself and stop being so stubborn. I already I already addressed how how opposing offenses have just figured out Pete Curl's cover three defenses, and that is the reason why I think that I think that is the reason why you have seen a a, a traumatic, you know, as far as decrease or I should say increase in the amount of points and yards that the Seattle Seahawks defense have been giving up over the last several years. Opposing offenses have figured out that cover three that Pete Curl loves to run. Opposing defenses have figured out, hey. If we take away the big shots and and and, and able to stop and, st- and stuff the running game of the Seahawks, we have them. But Pete Curl, he's he was seven and nine, two seven and nine seasons, back to back seven and nine seasons before prior to Russell Wilson. And if they didn't draft Russell Wilson, who knows if Pete Curl still has his job? And then yeah, you got Russell Wilson. You won a couple. You won a Super Bowl. You got to two Super Bowls. Should have won that second Super Bowl. Didn't. And then since then, since 2014, since then, it's been six years where the Seattle Seahawks have failed to get past and get and to to get past the divisional round. The Seahawks have failed. So instead of having Russell Wilson under the microscope, I'll be having Pete Curl under the microscope. I really would. I have Pete Curl under the microscope because got some big questions to ask yourself. Pete Curl is a little, little stubborn. And with that being said, let's just move on. Um, let's move on to the NBA. Let's move on to the NBA a little bit. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the Lakers and LeBron and AD. Uh, I'm going to cover some things and so forth. Um, so let's start with Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis, the Lakers have been careful. Anthony Davis has been out for a couple ga- for several games now uh, due to a sore Achilles. Now, he did play Friday night. He played Friday night and had a pretty good, had a damn good game. 
And I was just I, – and I was going to – before I – I didn't know he was going to play on Friday night, but then he – you know, they, they cleared him to play, and he uh, he had – I think he had like 30-something points. Played pretty well in a big-time comeback win versus uh, the, the Memphis Grizzlies. They were down 20, and they came back versus the Grizzlies, and that was the second straight game. The Lakers got down 20, and they had to come back and win, and they won um, – pretty much pretty comfortably at the end um, of that game. But I must say, I have been very disappointed in the season that Anthony Davis have had so far. And I haven't talked much about about the NBA and the Lakers and so forth as much as I like to because NFL season, the NFL playoffs and so forth. But now that's over. You know, we're still in the NFL offseason, but I can touch on it a little bit with Anthony Davis. And I must say, I have been very disappointed in the season that I've been seeing from Anthony Davis because from the looks of it, I was thinking, hey, Anthony Davis had a big-time playoff run. He played he played absolutely great basketball throughout that Lakers championship run in the bubble. Um, he I think he led them in scoring. Or, or, you know, like him and LeBron was like neck and neck for scoring for, you know, for the team's leading score. He, he and he, he just had an all and he had an amazing finals series. So I was I, I thought I think a lot of people was of the thought process as a, as of myself, where I thought Anthony Davis would just only get better and take that next step into possible into possibly being an MVP candidate. Um, being a candidate where people are like, hold up, Anthony Davis, he's playing well. He might, he may very well be the next best player in basketball. Remember that was that was that was the conversation that I was having after the finals and going into the NBA season. And I was like, hey, you know, LeBron getting older, you know, year 18, 36. Anthony Davis just coming off a big-time playoff run. I'm like, maybe this is the passing of the torch. Maybe we'll see the passing of the torch throughout this regular season, throughout the season, as Anthony Davis continues to progress. Well, that just has not happened. That that just has not happened. Anthony Davis seems a bit out of shape, um, but it just seems like I don't want to say – it just seems like he's got a bit reluctant. You know, they won the championship, and the Lakers are still a really good team. I think, I mean, Utah, I must say, Utah looks really good. <laughs> Utah looks really good. But I must say, I think I still think the Lakers are the favorites. I still think they're the favorites to win the Western Conference. But the Utah Jazz and the Clippers and the, and the L.A. Clippers, both of those teams look really good, and that, and that should be real compelling to see how this race in the in the West goes, um, because I know the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers could care less about home court advantage. They don't mind Utah being the number one seed or the Clippers being the number one seed. But it's such a neck to neck race between these three teams at the top, where I'm I'm I'm, I'm be curious to see how it finishes. But um, I I just I'm just I was just disappointed with Anthony Davis and how he's started the season. Um, this like these first 20, 25, like these first 25, 26 games. I just I just expected more. I just expected more. And it seems like he's taking a step backwards. Seems like he's taking a step backwards where I expected more. And then um, 
So he came back last night. He had a like I said, he had a big time game. Um, I wish we could pull up the stats. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. But um, we're gonna get the stat sheet for you guys. But he had a pretty good game versus Memphis. Came back. Uh, I was now I was a bit worried about the fact that they had that Anthony Davis had that Achilles injury, that sore Achilles injury, and he had 35 points and nine rebounds. Uh, he you know pretty efficient night, 16 for 27. So you know, uh, I was I, I was a bit worried about the sore Achilles and how that was going to affect him, um, and how the Lake and I was and I was more so worried about how the Lakers were going to go follow the process, you know, see the process through of you know him being is he straight, is he okay, is he fully back, is it, is it you know has the soreness gone away? But looks fine from what I saw last night on Friday. Um, now LeBron. Now, LeBron is, you know, MVP. We're, we're hearing a lot of MVP conversations, um, you know, surrounding LeBron, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic. Um, as you guys know, Luka Doncic was my pick to win MVP. Um, he was, I mean, Luka Doncic was the odds. He was the odds on uh, pick. He was the consensus pick before the season <laughs> to win MVP. And, uh, you know, the, Dallas had been having their struggles and so forth. But LeBron, LeBron is, um, LeBron, I, I would say LeBron is looking like he's the MVP this year. He's looking like he's the MVP. He, he's looking like he's the, he's the front runner at least. Um, I think some people would probably argue Joel Embiid and they have a very valid argument with the way how he's been playing. I think Embiid. I don't. I, I don't know. If, you know. I don't know how many people have heard this from me, but I, I. I must say this. Embiid looks like he is in the best shape of his life. Like this is the best shape I've seen Joel Embiid in, um, as like as a professional basketball player. He's in the best shape of his life. So he's playing some. So he's playing some good basketball. And obviously the the Seventy Sixers. They go as he go, and <laughs> he's been going well. So the 76ers have number one seed. He's he's averaging 29 and 11. I love it. I love it. And this is the Joel Embiid that I thought we'd see. This is this is this is what I want to see more of. And he's just doing it. He's gonna continue to do it too. But LeBron James, year 18, age 36. Uh, I thought he had a valid argument to win MVP last year with the with the year he had, where he basically was the creator, the playmaker, the best playmaker last year with leading the league in assists. And he was just, he, he, he controlled the Lakers offense last year. Well, this year he's upped it and he's upped it in the scoring. And, and let me, and let me, let me preface this before I even, before I even say this, let me, let me add some cushion. Cause a lot of people think I hate LeBron. I don't hate LeBron. I actually love LeBron. I love LeBron. I just don't think he's the GOAT. I think he's the second greatest player of all time. That's not hate. Okay? That's not hate. I just think he's the second greatest player of all time, not the GOAT. But LeBron is chasing numbers. He's chasing, he's chasing. Well, and, and, and like I said, let me preface this before people take this out of context and clip it. LeBron, he is his main goal is to win a championship, obviously. But in route to winning a championship, he is chasing numbers. He is chasing records. He is chasing. He sees he has Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record 
in his sight. And I don't blame him for it. I don't blame LeBron for it. I don't blame LeBron for having for having Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time all-time record, all-time points record. I don't I don't blame him. I don't blame him cuz it could help him in the go it could help him in his go case. It could it, it's going to definitely help him in his go case. So, I don't blame LeBron for chasing individuality. But he is definitely chasing numbers. He is definitely chasing individual stats, and it's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing wrong with it at all because they're winning. The Lakers are winning. They're trying to win a championship and so forth, and they, they're the favorites. So I have no problem with him going after these numbers. But, you know, you see the see the recent minutes that he's played. Uh, you know, you see the stats that he's putting up. And LeBron's going to put up good stats regardless. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's just staffing. But, he, you, but you can see he's putting a certain amount of effort that, you know, around this time, around this early in the season, we usually don't see LeBron go this full, this full effort, full attack. We usually don't see this this early in the season. We usually see it after All-Star break where LeBron turns it on. But he has been full throttle throughout the entire season, and he actually has a career low in minutes. But over the last couple weeks, over the last several over the last several games, he's played a lot of minutes. You know, the game's gone to overtime and so forth. But he's played a lot of minutes. But he's putting a, he's putting like I said, my overall arching point is he is putting he's putting on uh, he's putting a lot of effort into into this season. So early, right? So early, he's putting into a lot of effort. And I think he's and it's, and it's okay. It's okay. Because I know people go, oh, you're hating on LeBron. You're saying he's stat padding. Yeah. Uh, he's he's trying to chase the record. But I understand it. Because I think LeBron understands. And I think LeBron made this comment um, like three, four years ago after he beat the Warriors. In um that tw- in the 2016 finals, after he beat the Warriors, he came back from 3-1. He said, like, he he said after that series, he was the GOAT. Now, obviously, a lot of people didn't buy into that. You know, <laughs> you know, a lot of people didn't buy into it. And I think LeBron knows that the consensus, the consensus, the consensus GOAT is is Michael Jordan. Like most, like, you know, most people tend to think Michael Jordan's the GOAT, right? LeBron has his fan, you know, LeBron has his fans and, you know, the fans that go out all out for him. But most people, the consensus GOAT is Michael Jordan. And I think LeBron knows in order to sway people, to sway a lot of those people, he's going to, you know, longevity is is something that he has over Michael. He's going to have the records. And for LeBron to be the all-time leading scorer would also help him. For, you know, LeBron also being top. If LeBron could finish top five in assists and and um and 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 and, and be the all time leading scorer, and then somehow you know get the six championships and win well win six championships, and and you know despite the six losses, he had he you know he have those records. He have that to fall back on. You know, winning a MVP in year eighteen. Like that all would help his goat case. That all would strengthen his goat case. That would strengthen his goat case. That's what LeBron is doing. And I have no problem with it. 
I have no problem with it at all. And I know people going to be like, oh, my God, Isaiah, what are you? You're, oh, my God, you're just hating. You can't get enough for yourself. No, but he is. He is that. He, he, he is. He is. He is chasing. He is chasing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record. And it's OK. It is totally fine. It is totally fine, but he is chasing it. And I'm just gonna do an MVP check in with um and, 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 and I want to address this with Steph Curry too. I want to address this with Steph Curry. I think Steph Curry is playing some great basketball. I think he is. I think he's playing really well. And this and right now, this with this team with this roster, he is certainly overachieving. But Steph Curry is not gonna win the MVP. I, I've seen this. I've seen. I've seen this all across Twitter. I've seen this buzzing. This conversation buzzing over the last couple of days. Steph Curry is not going to win MVP. The Warriors are. The, the Warriors are on pace to win thirty six games. That the the, the Warrior. Once again, I I reiterate. The Warriors are on pace to win thirty six games. When Russell Westbrook won MVP, where he averaged uh, average a triple double. The Thunder won 47 games, and people gave Westbrook some pushback because they're like, hold up. Your team was the sixth seed, and you won MVP? But Westbrook, he that, that, that's, that's, that's deemed as an outlier because he did something that we have never seen in 50 years, that we haven't seen in 50 years, and that was average triple-double in a season. So that's why it was so astonishing, and that's why he won MVP, and we consider that an outlier. But if you look at the history of the MVP award, the history of the MVP award and the criteria that was used for Steph Curry to get his first MVP, it's the it's the mere fact that your team has to be one. Your team has to be amongst the top of the conference. It has to be the elite of top of your. So preferably your team has to be either a one or two seed maybe top four to even be considered as an MVP guy or to win MVP. Is he a, is Steph Curry an MVP candidate? Okay, sure. But is he in prime position to win it if he continues this? No. Because once again, the Warriors are on pace to win 36 games. And why and and, and it's I just find it amazing. And I think Steph is playing phenomenal. I think Steph is playing great. And I think this year will will help Steph's legacy because a lot of people before this season questioned, can Steph Curry without Klay Thompson, his splash bro, can he carry the Warriors to the playoffs? At least, at least to the playoffs. Can he carry this team to the playoffs? And he has them, he has them in the playoff race. He has them in the playoff hunt. So I think this this season. It's going to tremendously help. It's going to boost his legacy. But why can't we just have Steph Curry is overachieving with a bad team and he has them and he has them overachieving? Why can't that just be the narrative? Why does the narrative have to? Why do we have to take the narrative to the next step, the next level as far as, oh, my God, Steph Curry, he's 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 going to win MVP. No, he's not. He's not. Sorry, Dub Nation, but he's not. But he's not. 
And I must say, I mean, for for a guy that picked Luka Doncic to win MVP, I have um I, I I'm glad to see that the Mavericks are starting to turn the corner. They're now one they're now one game out of five hundred, uh, or you know, one game out of five hundred. Um one game under five hundred, excuse me. But they had a four they're on a four game winning streak. So that's that's good. That's pretty good to see that the Mavericks are starting to turn it around because I'm I, hey I'm gonna stick with my take I'm gonna take I'm gonna take integrity I'm a big I'm a big I'm big on take integrity and I'm gonna stick with my take of Luka Doncic winning MVP now Luka's obviously putting up the numbers he's obviously putting up the numbers like that's no doubt Luka's averaging twenty eight and a half points eight rebounds and nine assists so he's he's definitely putting up the numbers but I'm gonna stick with my take I think Luka I still think. You know, my take was Luca's gonna win MVP. I'm still gonna stick with it, but in and it's a really good sign to see the Mavericks turning the corner because they were completely they were completely decimated, um, with COVID and some players missing out and some players missing some games due to the COVID protocols. Um, to start the season, Luca wasn't really in the best shape. It seems like he's starting to get back into game shape, game form. Uh, Perzingis. Porzingis didn't come back until January, so I think the Mavericks are starting to turn. They, they're starting to put the they're starting to put the things together and get back to the Mavericks that we saw in the regular season last year and throughout the bubble in the postseason. I think was they're starting to get back to that to that groove. So that's 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 good for my take <laughs> for Luka Doncic. But um, once again, LeBron, I think it's it's fine if he's chasing Kareem and those and you know records. Because I think ultimately it's going to help him in his goat case. It's going to only help him and strengthen his goat case if he's able to do such things as, as far as like be the all-time leading scorer, finish top five in assists, you know, win an MVP at the age of 36. It will definitely strengthen his case. It will definitely strengthen his case, strengthen his case for sure. And like I said, I think LeBron has a valid case for being the MVP this year. And if I had to choose, I would probably pick him as my MVP. Uh, I would probably, I would probably, I would probably pick LeBron as my MVP this year so far. Joel Embiid has a good case, but I would pick LeBron as my guy um, for MVP. So, uh, JJ Watt, he he, re- he it was a mutual agreement. And I don't want to spend too long on this topic, but I do find it interesting. It was a mutual agreement that J.J. Watt and the Texans, they cut ties and they go their own way. Uh, So the Texans, they cut um, and released uh, J.J. Watt, their best defensive player in franchise history by far. And, um, you know, he has a lot, even despite him being at 31, um, age 31 and his going into his 11th season, there's a lot of buyers out on the market for J.J. Watt. Um, obviously, the Steelers come to mind because, you know, J.J. Watt and uh, T.J. Watt, they're brothers. So, you know, that might be an, that may be an interesting dynamic. I don't know how Pittsburgh can possibly make that work if they're given their cap situation. Um, Green Bay, the Packers have been an option that's been floating out there. The Packers, obviously, J.J. Watt is from Wisconsin, go back home and so forth. Uh, I've heard the Titans are in the, are a pos- you know, possible suitors for J.J. Watt. Um, can we get more? 
Can we get a little bit more? Okay, so uh, the Bills, the Browns, and so forth. There's about a dozen teams that are looking at J.J. Watt um, and that are interested. So that says a lot. And J.J. Watt, I must say, people forget because, you know, Aaron Donald has been so dominant over these last, like, three, four years. Aaron Donald has just been the best defensive player in football and arguably the best player in football over the last three, four years. So we kind of forget about J.J. Watt was on this same very run. J.J. Watt was on this was on the same run. <laughs> the stuff that would like the dominance that we are seeing from Aaron Donald, and I'm not saying one is better than the other as far as like dominance, um, because they're both <laughs> they're both dominant. I, and I think Aaron Donald, he's probably the greatest interior defender ever. I mean, you, you you just look at it, the 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 sack numbers and the and the amount of double teams that he has to face. Um, I, I think he may be the best. He may be the greatest interior defender ever, and I don't say that lightly. But Aaron, I mean, but uh, JJ Watt, his first his first five seasons were phenomenal, and from 2012 to 2015, JJ Watt was arguably the best player in football in undisputably probably the the best defensive player in football. I think in that span he won three defensive players of the year awards. Um he obviously got the five pro bowls. He uh he led the, he had multiple 20 sack seasons. So, so like he was so dominant. Um he was so dominant from from a from from a DM perspective and he played in a 3-4 He's probably Aaron Donald is probably he's probably the third or second greatest defensive in three four technique defensive in ever, and it it depends on how you want to rate these guys. But I, when I think about defensive ends and three four techniques or three four and the three four uh, defensive end, I'm thinking Reggie White, obviously Bruce Smith. And JJ Watt, like that's how good the guy is, and that's how dominant he was in football. And it was, and you could make the argument from 2012 to 2015, JJ Watt had the best. That was the best stretch for a defensive player ever. You could make that argument. You could make that argument if you look at his numbers. If you completely analyze his numbers. You can make that argument that J.J. Watt from 2012 from 2015, that was the best three, four-year stretch from a defensive player we've ever seen. Now, like I said, Aaron Donald is on a hell of a stretch right now. So it, I don't know how I don't know how it compares to Aaron Donald, you know, stretch right now. I don't know how it compares to uh, Reggie White. Reggie White may have had a three, four-year stretch where he was just completely dominant and unblockable. Um, and, that, and the same go for the same go for Lawrence Taylor. But JJ Watt, as far like I said, as far as defensive ends in the three four in the three four, um, we're pro- you're probably talking about a guy who's who's amongst the ranks of Reggie White and Bruce Smith. That's how good JJ Watt is. That's how good he is. And I do find it interesting with the Texans now, and and this and this is more so about the Texans. A, a little, I want to move on a little bit to the Texans. Because we have we have seen some, I don't want to say strange departures, 
But there's been a lot of departures over the last few weeks, over the last over the last year. Over the last year, there's been some strange departures. Or well, not strange, but some of them have been strange because you do you have guys leaving. Um, you have you have guys leaving that's been you have guys leaving this Texans organization that was there for 20 years. So something there's a change and there's a shift in dynamic with this Texans franchise, this Texans front office. And I think it speaks to my bigger point about Deshaun Watson and the people that are criticizing or the people that are bashing Deshaun Watson and saying, hey, you took the money. Why would you sign? And why you like this? Shut up and play. You don't you don't you don't need to have an opinion. You don't need to have input. All these things that I'm hearing about Deshaun Watson, it just further covers my point. It it further it just furthers um, in, in a better sense. It explains my point well, and a lot of people's point well, and it, it just made Deshaun Watson look even better in this case. Um, so like like Jane, like Jamie Roots, Jamie, Jamie Roots, team president, he was there for 20 years, left. Doug West, he was the VP of football operations, he left. Mike Parsons, equipment manager, it, it was so stupid. Mike Parsons, the equipment manager, the, the former equipment manager of the Houston Texans, had a great relationship with Deshaun Watson. If the Texans had any chance of retaining and trying to keep Deshaun Watson, you would think they would that you would think they would keep an employee that Deshaun Watson has a good relationship with. Nope. Instead, they they fire him and he's gone. Um, Bill O'Brien, he was coach. He was the GM and the head coach. He was fired, obviously. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, he was traded. J.J. Watt, he got let go. Also, the VP of T- uh, the VP of communications, they left. So all of these departures, it just shows the influx and the transition and the change, the 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 altering changes, some big time altering changes within the Houston organization. And remember those people that was like, oh, my God, Deshaun Watson, what are you talking about? Deshaun Watson, this franchise has gotten to the playoffs for the last six six seasons. Deshaun Watson, you're, you're, that's selfish. You're being selfish. You're being cocky. You need to stop it. You can't have an opinion. Remember, like, all, all of these people. And I, 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 just, I just vehemently disagree with it. I vehemently disagree with that stance, with those stances. And it just and with all of these departures, with all of these altering changes, and we're and we're now seeing that Cal McNear and it seems like Cal McNear and Jack Easterby they have a great rapport, they have a great relationship, and they're just they're just starting clean house, I guess. But that is why Deshaun Watson wants out. There there is something, and I think there's something more going on with this Houston franchise that we don't know about. But these we're, we're starting to pull it back layer by layer. It's starting to it's starting to really open itself up and blossom layer by layer. And um, I wanted to get to last last but not least, I wanted to talk about Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And 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 and, and I must say, just for recent recency, just for recency, Chris the hiring of Chris Doyle it got rescinded. So Chris Doyle. He will not be the strength and conditioning coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I'm going to get into more onto why this was important, into why 
I just question Urban Meyer's judgment at this point. Now, Urban Meyer, he hired he hired former strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyu. Um, he was the strength. He was the former strength and conditioning coach at Iowa, and he was at Iowa for twenty years. He was at Iowa for twenty years. Now, what led to his departure? At Iowa was he made some racist comments and slurs and and so forth and, and, and bullying. He made some racial comments and bullying as far as towards the students, the kids, the, the players. And this is what the players, a lot of players, this is what the players, this is what they're saying. This is what they said. And um, his buyout, he, he so obviously he left Iowa. And he his buyout was he got a he got a buyout of a million of one point one million dollars. That was the buyout. So that was the, that was the incentive. That was the award. That was that was the that was the reward that he reaped because because he made racist racist comments and slurs and you know and bullying towards the players. That was his buyout. One point one million dollars. And the Jaguars. And and I must say, Urban Meyer and the Jaguars, they went out and they hired Chris Doyle. This is totally unacceptable, and I'm glad it was put to a stop. I was going to go deeper into this situation, but I don't think there's no need for me to because I think everybody and, and, and even the NFL recognize just to, I mean, just just how bad this situation looks. Not a good look for Urban Meyer. Not a good look for Urban Meyer, and he has to read the room. Urban Meyer, this is and it's unacceptable. It, it it really is. And and a lot of people, a lot of people are starting to question Urban Meyer because he his his Florida program had a lot of issues. His Florida program and his players had a lot of issues. That's why he got out of Florida. Ohio State. He I think one of his coaches were um were involved in a domestic violence a you know a, a domestic violence case he didn't know and so forth there's a lot of question marks with Urban Meyer and I'm not saying Urban Meyer no I'm not saying he's a racist I'm not saying he you know he 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 knew about the domestic violence stuff I'm not saying he didn't but there's a lot of stuff for Urban Meyer and it's, it seems like anywhere he goes there's there's something following him. There's something. There's there's just something with him. And then the and then and then the fact that Urban Meyer he vouched, he vouched for Chris Doyle, and I just find it unacceptable. The NFL obviously found it unex, found it unacceptable because the hiring of Chris Doyle was rescinded. It was rescinded, and Chris Doyle is not the Jacksonville Jaguars' strength and conditioning coach. So that is that is good news. But that was completely unacceptable from Urban Meyer. That was completely unacceptable because there's so many strength and conditioning coaches. And I'm and, and Chris Doyle, I'm sure Chris Doyle was not like, let's be honest. Chris Doyle was at Iowa for 20 years. He was a strength and conditioning coach. What championship has Iowa won? What Big Ten Conference championship has Iowa won? Like, 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 so he must not be that good at the job. 
He must not be that good at the job. Okay. And I'm sure that you could, I'm sure Urban Meyer and the Jaguars could have found a better strength and conditioning coach. They didn't have to get this particular guy. And it just rubs off the wrong way where, I mean, most teams, most of, most of these players on these teams are predominantly black. Um, seventy Actually, in fact, 70% of the league, black players. So it just rubs off the wrong way. And not a good start for Urban Meyer to start off his uh, tender in Jacksonville. But. The, the but the the hiring did get rescinded, and it, it did not go through. So that's good news. Um, and Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, just just a touch on Trevor Lawrence a little bit. He, you know, threw he threw pretty well. And I'm just gonna tell you guys this: Trevor Lawrence, he's a six six. He's a six six. John Elway. The draft doesn't start at number one. The draft starts at the number two pick because it's obvious the Jaguars are gonna pick. They're gonna pick Trevor Lawrence. Let's let's just get this out the way. They're gonna pick Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence, he look, he's a six-six John Elway. That is my that is my comp. That is my comparison. That is my comp. He's a six-six John Elway, and I, I'm I feel pretty confident about that. I feel pretty confident about six-six John Elway. I feel pretty confident about that. But Urban Meyer, gotta read the room. Um, totally unacceptable. To- this this comes off very tone deaf. All of the progress that has been made. Uh, really, this not this just really not a good look for Urban Meyer. Really not a good look. But I'm gonna let you guys go. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week. Um, you know, hope you know we may have some big time trades to discuss. Also, we got some draft, some draft, some mock draft talk. I'm gonna be bringing on some people, um, to talk about some mock drafts over the over the next couple over the next couple weeks or so as we get closer to the draft and so forth. But um, I bid you guys adieu. Um, always remember two choices, one decision. Um, thank you guys for continuing to support. Um, the streams are doing well. I, I mean, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You guys are doing a really good job, and it, I, I'm really appreciative of it. And continue to stream this podcast. Once again, I see you guys out. Peace. Adios. Deuces. Gone.